Listeners, you're listening to a special episode of Chewing the Scenery Horror Movie Podcast. Now, this one's not going to necessarily be about horror movies, but things you might see in them. Uh, We're going to be talking to Rudy Muniz from Crimson Ghost Mask Room. If you have Instagram, all you have to do is follow Crimson Ghost Mask Room and you will see what I am talking about. This man has a collection unlike any other you've ever seen. And uh, have a peek. You'll see some some marvels of the history of rubber masks, Halloween masks, the things you always wanted as a kid and maybe mom wouldn't give you the money. So we're going to talk <laughs> about that. Uh, exactly. And uh, I want to thank the Moonrays for that song, Intro Creature Features, at the top of the show. We always put that there because, hey, I grew up on the south side of Chicago and uh, Rudy's from the same area. So if you're old enough, Rudy, you might remember Creature Features Oh, absolutely. Okay, well, that's our intro music from uh, the Moonrays. Cool, awesome. Anyone wants to say hi to them, you can go to Facebook and, and look up the Moon-Rays. Uh, and if you want to buy their music, you can go to Apple Music or Amazon and buy it digitally and uh, get that track or others. Uh, the, Ghoul, the Ghoul Goes West or any of those other albums they made. It's just great spooky surf rock music. Enough about that. Rudy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, Thanks for having me. I'm gonna drop a bomb on you right now and tell you we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna put this episode up on Halloween. Oh, awesome! It and fits, doesn't it? It does for sure. Cool. Uh, we might have a little line noise during the episode uh, because you know sometimes the recording unit picks up stuff from the phone and we're FaceTiming this. So if anyone hears that, just ignore it. It'll come and go. Here we are. Uh, it's not Halloween as we. As we record this, but one of the things... Happy Halloween, though. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Uh, there's going to be plenty of candy for anyone who bought a bunch to give away. Because Right. <laughs> How many door knocks do you typically get on Halloween? Unfortunately, I don't get any because I live in the middle of the woods. So You do? There's, there's never, yeah, there's no trick-or-treaters. Oh, it's sad to say. That's a... But, I'll take my daughter, you know, to a certain town where we go every year and, and let her trick or treat everywhere. Oh, that's great. Yeah. You're, you're doing the right thing, man. That keeps me from eating all loads of candy that would be here in a bowl. So I guess it's good. Oh, yeah. I, I have a, a, a medium, large-ish bag stashed. <laughs> my wife always says, don't bring it into the house. So it's, it's, it's in the beer fridge out in the uh, outdoor kitchen. When we get back that night, she'll know I'm going to raid her back for all the Reese cups. So, oh man, kind of- yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so it's funny in the in the outline of of uh, some of the ideas of what we would talk about. Uh, one of the things I said was uh, the Halloween things to be a, uh, the Halloween thing seems to be a stronger obsession in people, um, you know, maybe a little older like us, who uh, 
who grew up in a time where you could run free in the October nights and, and go out and play pranks, trick or treat. Maybe you have an older sibling or a cousin that would take you out. And once you were old enough, the parents would just say, well, approximately when to be home or they didn't care. Exactly. Uh, I was thinking, I was thinking about that on my way home tonight because Halloween was such a different thing back then when we were kids uh, compared to what it is today. We, we would wear our costumes to school. Um, then during school, we would do a whole parade around the school in costume. And as soon as the bell rang after classes were over, we would trick-or-treat all the way home. We walked to school, so right. trick-or-treat all the way home, drop our bags off, or book bags, and then go out all night till you know, 10, 30, even 11 o'clock sometimes, just going nuts, running through the streets. And, you know, it was a different time, of course, but... I look at things now and I, I see these time lists of all these towns limiting to, you know, between five and seven. And it just, it's so sad. Oh yeah. yeah. I was working at Chicago Ridge mall back in the day. Uh, I want to say late eighties. And, uh, it was the first year where they decided to do this supposed safe trick or treat. And they stopped, pretty much going in the neighborhoods and just sent all the kids to the mall to just sadly trudge through the mall and trick or treat the stores inside the mall. And I was working at music land. <laughs> music land. Yes. Remember music land the blast from the past. Sure. Yeah. Sam Goody wow. music land, all those. And, uh, the kids just looked sad in their little Freddy Krueger masks and whatnot. Right. It was we weird. Like it. Like I said, we would go so late, we would show up at your door whether you want us to or not, you know. People would yell sometimes, like, it's too late, you know, or they'd luckily leave a bowl on the steps outside and we'd just take what we wanted and maybe smash their pumpkin or not if they left a bowl, you know, of candy. And, right. <laughs> and we would, sometimes we'd go back home, unload huge bags of candy, then run right back out the door. It was insane. But, yeah. uh, you know, now kids have two hours and it's, it's sad. It is. And uh, I'm in uh, a fairly central part of, uh, of the residential area of Denver and very visible on a, on a hill in the neighborhood. And I put these big four foot tall cats with fake flame pots in front of them. It's pretty clear. Come and knock on the door. You'll get candy. I think, right. I think we got four or five door knocks last year. That's it. That's about it. Uh, and yeah. I, and we're in between two kind of richy rich neighborhoods in this uh, wedge of of, uh, of a ghetto that's sort of uh, not ghetto anymore. <laughs> and you know, you'd think, well, you know, the kids who are trick or treating the the quote unquote good neighborhoods are going to pass through here at some point, right? Are they afraid to? Or <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean, I don't think they trick or treat much at all, man. It's. <sighs> Sometimes I get the feeling that this holiday is just going to wither away. I you know, hope not. That scares me. But, you know, like last year, my daughter was in third grade, and she's like, oh, we're going to have a Halloween party. You know, I'm like, oh, great. What do you want to dress up as? You know, and do you want to make, make some treats, or what candy should we buy? And she said, oh, we're not allowed to dress up in costumes, and we're not allowed to bring any candy. 
What? And I'm like, what the hell? What kind of what? party is that? Are you what gonna kind of party is that? You know, and I, I just got so angry. I'm like, Ugh. are you, you going to summon a demon? Because yeah, well, you better ratchet it up above what I was talking about. Dude, I was so disappointed. In that. More mad than anything. I'm like, just yeah. forget about it. <laughs> so yeah, it, 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 it's there's so many things going on today with Halloween that just drives me crazy. But you know, let's hope it keeps going and. And hope it doesn't get down to thirty minute time zones. But well, I, I, I gotta say, I, I really hope that uh, some some indicators we're seeing, like uh, like uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Creepy Co. Yes, Creepy Company. I'm, I'm actually wearing one of their shirts as we. Record. I recognize that one. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a this is a place. Uh, I think it's creepycompany.com. If you want to shop them, they have uh, licensed a bunch of Beastel stuff. And, and, I know, awesome stuff. Yeah, and listeners who aren't familiar, it's spelled uh, B-E-I-S-T-L-E. And that's the, since the 1920s, they've they've made paper decorations for Halloween. The and, best. And they are the best. And I, I yeah. have a collection of reprints of the ones I remember as a kid and ones from previous to that. And uh, I got to say, that sets the mood for me every year. I get those decorations out and tape them up in the windows. And I don't. I've got, I have a lot of the original decorations we'd put up in the '70s and '80s. You know that my dad bought. So have the same stuff today, and it it just brings you right back. It does. You know? Yeah. And, and I don't want it. I don't want this to necessarily be the old man hour talking about <laughs> Halloween, what it used to be, but. Essentially, that's what this is because we're talking about vintage masks when we get down we're to old it. We're men talking about Halloween, so yeah, get off our lawn unless you're going to unless you're going to trick or treat. But yeah, everything was so much cooler back then. Everything's so like you know colorful and happy now. Everything was a little darker, and all the artwork and designs, and it's just it's getting lost that feel. You know, when you pull out those old decorations and look at old costume boxes and that's what i love so much and it's you don't see that anymore now you go to a a pop-up shop in a mall and it's just everything's in a clear plastic bag there's no package design to it you can't even find a good monster mask these days when you go to you know spirit halloween or these these places and you walk through there and you're like a kid couldn't even want to couldn't even be frankenstein if he wanted to there's no masks out there luckily you got companies finally putting stuff out like trick-or-treat studios is coming out with classic universal stuff and oh yeah it's like for years it's like where are these classic monsters anymore in these in these stores that are everywhere and you know i gotta wonder was there a time when universal was less litigious and maybe more people did knockoffs i gotta feel like that was the a thing those those uh copyrights are very tough and from what i've heard to to get licensing for so that could be a big part of it yeah Yeah. Uh, i did an interview um from uh uh actually last year at horror hound uh slash mask fest uh i i was really bummed out i kept trying to catch ed edmonds at his uh table Oh yeah. And, uh, sometimes. (laughs) Well, that's the thing is, you know, like it's a catch as catch can with that, but, uh, he's a busy guy. Well, here's the thing is, is I was working at a very big, uh, art supply store in Denver and that's where my co-hosts and I met. 
And it's uh, independently owned, but a very big art supply store. And that's how I met Ed and got to know them a little bit. They're great people, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I would take their orders over the phone. Like, they would call in and say, we need these inks. You know, they airbrush inks to do the finer details on the masks. Sure. And uh, I would take their phone orders and talk to them a little on the phone. Well, I talked to Ed at uh, Horror Hound slash Mask Fest. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, he agreed that we could, you know, sit down and do, uh, you know, do half an hour or an hour. And we were not able to nail it down between me working at a booth and him working at a table. Oh, yeah. And then That's a show. And finally, this last time, I'm sitting in the airport and I glance over and double take and I see the two of them sitting there. And they just announced that the flight back to Denver from Indianapolis was delayed an hour. And I, wa- I walked over and said hi, reintroduced myself, my recording equipment's in my bag, and we did an hour. And you got it? Nice. Yeah, so we talked quite a bit about, uh, you know, stuff we talk about. They're very important people in the Halloween, Halloween mask world, for sure. Absolutely. The greatest pieces out there. Yeah. And if anybody, anybody was reading Fangoria Magazine... You know, in the early 80s, mid 80s, you saw lots of DU masks on, on ads in those pages. Oh, for sure. Distortions Unlimited for our listeners uh, who aren't familiar. Um, yeah, incredible. Uh, very important stuff. And uh, real quick, I'll throw you out another one that happened when I was working at the art supply store. Um, I was talking with a uh, co-worker behind the counter where we sold the airbrushes. And this guy walks up and is talking to us about uh, he needed a specific Iwata airbrush. And we were asking him what he needed it for. And he said, well, I need this level of detail, so on, so forth. And he goes, well, let me run out to the car and grab what what it is I do. And it was Landon Meyer, who you, who you know, uh, Hyperflesh. And if you want to, uh, listeners, if you want to check him out, Hyperflesh Dude on Instagram. Uh, the most hyper-realistic crazy stuff yeah the crying baby mask he he brought in the two crying babies that were pretty new at the time and this is probably 10 years ago by now and i'm looking at these things and they are unbelievably realistic they're crazy they wore them through the show you know running around they always do wear those masks through the show every year and it's hilarious because they're so realistic yeah yeah they did uh they did like uh charlie sheen yep before and a trump trump mask and uh oh god just so realistic uh yeah you can't have trump without having putin right putin and uh (laughs) danny devito what's his name from north korea oh uh uh, kim Uh, jong-un yeah i'm pretty sure they did him too yep they did all the greats (laughs) (laughs) yeah right well uh at, at the risk of really burying the lead on this thing uh Tell our listeners what it is you do, and uh, and then we'll talk about how you got there and why you do it. As far as the collecting? Yes. Okay. Well, I collect vintage, vintage Halloween masks, mostly uh, over-the-head latex rubber and vinyl masks from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Um, I started off as a kid wearing the little plastic half masks we all wore. And, um, you know, back in the 70s, your, your parents would bring you to the store and 
just picking out one of those little box costumes was such a, you know, big event as the lead up to Halloween. Yeah. And you, you'd stare at that thing in the box for days and days and you couldn't wait for that day. And it was much later, you know, as I got older, I started seeing these rubber masks that were a lot more lifelike and you'd go into a trick shop and started seeing how terrifying they were and so, you know, real looking. And you'd beg your parents to buy one. And, you know, they'd say, those are $40 or $50. There's no way you're getting one of those. So my collection now is a lot of things I wanted back in the late 70s, early 80s, you know, that my parents definitely said no to. Right. Now, now I can afford them and now they cost way more than they did back then but it's uh, it's an amazing hobby it's a crazy hobby and not everyone gets it but the people that do you know love it so there, so there's all there's always somebody happy to hold your childhood memories hostage <laughs> at, at a premium and no I, doubt and I discovered that with the Planet of the Apes action figures that I had as a kid <laughs> And when I started looking to see, are those things out there somewhere? Yeah, they are. And the people want a lot of money for them. That's the, the funny thing is on Instagram, I used to just go on there and say this, you know, this mask is pretty rare. I, one, I recently paid 1500 for this mask and people would go, Oh my God, really? I've got one right here. And you're like, ah, I don't oh. pay that for another one. But you know, it's kind of, you start spreading the word on some of these costs and it's just as a collector, you shouldn't have to pay through the nose for everything you collect. Right. You, you want to buy them, right? Not that you want to steal them all, but it can be a very pricey hobby. So, Oh, for sure. The more you can buy at a, at a garage sale or, you know, flea market, the better you are because once they hit eBay, they can kind of go haywire. And, and, and I know uh, most guys bidding on them. I know who they are. And there's times where we'll even text each other or call, like, hey, are you bidding on it? Because we know we're going to be bidding it against each other. And like, do you really want it? Because I really want it. And like, don't, uh, don't drive it up. Like, all right, you can have this one. I'm not going to bid, you know. Or like, and they'll say, okay, you got the next one. <laughs> right. Now, that's, that's one of the questions that I had for you was, as far as serious collectors go, this seems to be a fairly small club. And, and is this community generally friendly with each other, or do you have a few uh, hardcores out there that want to be the, uh, the troublemakers? It's weird because for a long time it was kind of a smaller hobby that some, somewhat seemed to explode when Facebook groups appeared. You know, this, this hobby's crazy now. There's a lot of facets to it. So... As far as hardcore collectors like myself that have big vintage collections, there's a, there's a good amount, but not, not as many as you'd think. And usually everyone's pretty cool, but, you know, people do butt heads. And uh, it's, it's just, uh, you know, if you get there first, you're the lucky guy, and people can get angry sometimes. But it's funny, I've seen grown men at each other's throats over rubber masks. And it's, it's hilarious. <laughs> but, oh my gosh. How long, but, ago, how long ago did you start uh, as far as like deciding that this was a hobby, 
you were taking it seriously and you were going to pay more money for a thing and look for those earlier masks? I started putting masks on display in my room like back in the 90s. Okay. Like late late 80s, early 90s, my bedroom was totally insane. You know, wall-to-wall horror. I was friends with a video shop owner in the mall I worked at, so I got every stand-up, every poster, every everything you could imagine. You know, I'd walk over like, I want that, I want that. You know, when it's, when it's due, it's mine. So my room was loaded with horror, and that's when I started putting masks on display. But I only had, you know a dozen or so back then. Now in the past probably 15 years or so, it started getting a little heavier and I remember I remember saying like, "Oh my god, that that mask is $500. I would never pay $500 for a mask." You know, and then that became not a daily thing, but <laughs> it was all the time you're paying 500 for a mask, then 800 and you'd say I'll never pay that. And you're, next thing you know, you're paying 2000 for a mask. And it just keeps going and going. The rarer it is and the more sought after it is, um, I've ended up paying thousands for them. So it's just, you know, I'd say the past 10 years, it's been pretty crazy. Wow. That's how I got to where I am, I am now. Now, that that's a... So that's a question that I had, like, uh, what, what made you, th- <laughs> yeah, it's okay. What made you face the reality that your small collection was actually a serious collection and was going to keep growing? That's a good question. Uh, it was just, it was kind of like when I discovered the HMA, which was the, the Halloween Mask Association website years ago. It was an online forum, which is still lingering on today, where it was kind of like a tight-knit group of collectors. And I discovered that there was an outlet where I could find these masks. Like, I never realized you can join a, a forum back then and find other collectors and find the things you never thought you'd get again. You know, so these Don Post masks that I collect were starting to become more abundant and the collection started growing and then it just kind of got out of hand. It's, it's, it would probably be during the days of those forums that things started getting serious because, uh, they were more at my fingertips than I ever thought they would be. And the condition was, was, uh, more decent than you would have expected considering that they're latex or vinyl. Yeah. It, it all, usually if they're coming from another collector, um, you kind of know what you're getting unless there were a bad apple out there. There's a couple guys out there that you, you know, would misrepresent them, but overall everyone in the hobby is a pretty decent person and, um, you kind of know what you're getting and some things, you know, they're not going to be nice and you try to do what you can with restoring them or you just buy them as is cause they're so rare you'll take it in, in any condition. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that, that's true with a lot of different collectors and, and the things they collect. Is that, yep. and uh, I remember something because my dad had some different collections of things, uh, not masks, but different things that he collected. And sometimes he would refer to something in not the best condition, uh, like a, as a placeholder until you get a better specimen. <laughs> oh, exactly. So I imagine you've probably had a few of those. 
I've had many copies of certain masks where you just keep finding a better one and a better one. And this just happened this week. I saw another one pop up and I told the guy like, listen, I've got one, but yours looks pretty awesome. And I'd rather have yours. If, if you're going to sell it, I'd like to buy it and I'll just sell my copy. And that's, that's how this collection has grown so much. I would just kind of keep upgrading pieces and upgrading things uh, or sell you know, certain masks to go buy one that's really valuable that I couldn't afford a long time ago. So a lot of, I mean, a lot of masks have passed through my hands. It's, it's insane the amount of masks I've had. Sure. Uh, probably, probably hundreds up to a thousand masks. Wow. When I think about it, it's crazy. How many pieces are in your collection now? Roughly, it's, uh, it's changing all the time but probably a few hundred. Yeah. Yeah. They're not all, everything on the, in my photos on Instagram, that's not all of them. There's stuff that's in other places in my house and packed away, but roughly a few hundred. And, and that's, it, it may not seem like a lot, but it's, you know, they're the size of a human head. So it's like <laughs> having 300 people in your room. But, uh, How many human heads can you store in your house? <laughs> right. Right. Most people would have no idea, but you do. Sometimes I'm like, man, I should just collect Matchbox cars, you know. But right. Um, that's, the, that's the crazy thing. When you get 10 of them on a shelf, when you're a novice collector, you're like, this is awesome, you know. Then if you have 50 of them, you're like, oh, no, what am I doing, you know. And then now I've got a room dedicated to all these heads, and it's it's pretty wild. Yeah, so, so is this like an entire basement or what? It's a big room in the basement. Um when I moved here six years ago, I had all these masks packed up in boxes and my number one priority was building the mask room because number one, I didn't want them to sit in boxes too long and get damaged. And number two, I'm just crazy about the hobby. So I was so excited to get somewhat of a nicer display going. And at the time I was building it, I just decided to go all out and make it as cool as possible. So do you have it like uh, lit and everything? Like, is there special lighting? Yeah, I've got LED lighting in there, but uh, it's dimmable. And I, I eventually want to put some black lights in there just uh, because a lot of the masks have fluorescent painting and on them and uh, just for some cool effect for once in a while, you know, but uh, it's pretty, uh, it looks like a little museum. It's pretty, pretty cool, especially in person. Yeah, I was I was going to ask you: Is the next step on this uh, is the o- obvious next step during maybe retirement to open a museum? You know, it's a very serious uh, thing that's been on my mind. Yeah, because uh, there's a couple of factors regarding that, but <clears throat> a very uh, close friend of mine passed away, and uh, his collection was just unbelievably insane. So if there's a a possibility of merging the collections, it would have to be in a building or something. You know, it's, it's crazy the amount of pieces there are. Oh yeah. I would, you know, there's a lot of collectors out there that are so private. They don't want to share anything with people, but I'm the complete opposite. And I want people to see this stuff because a lot of people don't know this is even out there or exists so um and when people see it they they go bananas over it and i would love to have 
some kind of a monster museum or mask museum where people could uh, go check it out. And uh, I think it would be really uh, unique, to say the least. Definitely. And so um, on that note, have you acquired most of the quote-unquote Holy Grail masks? If not, what are some of them you're always looking for? I've collected some serious Holy Grails, but I can tell you there's a big list out there of things that, you know, I hope in my lifetime I'll find them. Um, Some of the obvious ones to a lot of mask people would be the Halloween 3 masks, um, the witch, the pumpkin, and the skull from Halloween 3. Those original masks um, are very sought after. And it, it's so crazy that that movie is so big now. It's I've never seen this coming, but it's got <laughs> it's got the craziest following ever now. Yep, and, uh, I've been a fanatic over it since '83. You know, and I wanted those masks um, when they were in the pages of Fangoria and those those old ads. And I first got my hands on a set within the last ten years. So. Um, there's only handfuls known, and they sell for a pretty penny, you know, into the thousands if they're if they're nice. So those are definitely grail pieces to most collectors. Um, to move up a notch from that, any Don Post mask from the '60s is, you know, kind of unobtainable. There's there's ha- small handfuls known. So there's a lot of <clears throat> things from that era that I would love to find. Um, I actually, I actually do own what's considered the Holy Grail of Halloween masks, like the number one, if you, to to a lot of people, they would say it's the number one uh, elusive mask and most sought after, um, and that's known as the Vern Langdon zombie. On the, uh, cover of the creepy annual in 1972, they put a mask on there known as the Vern Langdon zombie. Vern Langdon was with um, Don Post Studios for many years, and he ended up putting out this independent mask. He sculpted this hippie zombie and made about 22 copies of it. So a lot of people might recognize that cover. It's got this cracked zombie face looking character with this hippie hairdo, and it was put on the cover of that magazine. And it became a very sought-after piece. They, <clears throat> lots of people tried ordering it, and you just couldn't get this thing. So, um, no copies existed for many years in collections. One copy surface that was pretty deteriorated that needed a full restoration <clears throat> that a friend of mine owns, and it was beautifully restored. And until then, for several years, no copies surfaced. So then about five years ago, I got a phone call from from some friends of mine out in California telling me that this gentleman they know, who's a very private collector, who happens to be my friend that passed away recently, he had a copy of the Vern Langdon zombie. You know, it was really hard to believe that someone actually had this mask and it was the original paint the original hair and um 
<clears throat> when I received the photos of it, it was absolutely that mask. And it was mind-blowing that it existed. So after some wheeling and dealing and lots of money, it ended up in my collection. And it was something that he bought back in 1983 and put in a glass case back in 83 and it never moved since then. So it's extremely rare and it's definitely, to, to our knowledge in the hobby, the only known original copy. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> there's been lots of re recasts and remakes over the years of it, but to see it in hand and in front of you it's it's crazy so that's that's my <clears throat> that's my bragging bragging rights there is that mask yeah, owning you, the, the holy grail yeah you can you can pretty much stop any conversation with other collectors with that one can't you definitely that's that's something and i, I would love to see another one surface i've had people say oh there's another one i know there's another one you know and i'm like well until you can produce a picture of it, we would love to see that, but, you know, this is the only one. <laughs> so, well, that's the only, only original. Right. You know, all original. So, it's pretty cool, you know, and uh, <clears throat> that's, that's something I never thought I would own in a million years. And uh, the fact that it was foam-filled back in, like, 82, it was injected with foam, and that's, that's a technique that people in the hobby do to preserve a mask. If it wasn't foam filled in 82, it would not be sitting here today. It would have just melted away or cracked up and, you know, fell to pieces. So it's uh, it's an amazing piece of mask history sitting here. And there's not a lot of people who uh, specialize in this sort of preservation. No, not at all. <laughs> there's, there was, uh, you know, two guys I know of that were, you know, seriously foam filling masks and uh, they're really not doing it much anymore. So I've taken on trying to fill my own. I've done a couple, but it's not easy. You know, if you're out, if you're listening to this and you think you're going to foam fill your masks, don't, don't start grabbing a can of great stuff. No, because you're, you're going to have a basketball on the counter when you wake up in the morning. Oh, that's <laughs> don't, don't use expanding foam. No, no, uh, no, and you, it's, practice on a real cheap mask if you're going to start doing that. But uh, that's yep. a whole other topic. But yeah, it's that's one way. You know, I think one of your questions was how to preserve a mask and how to take care of them. Yes. You know, to touch on that for a minute, um, if you have an old mask you want to keep or display, the easy way to, would be to stuff it with plastic bags, like grocery bags. You know, stuff it where it's solid and put it on a little stand on a shelf so it's, you know, filled. And you don't want to just take a mask and throw it on a shelf where it's, you know, um, going to flop on its own because it will eventually melt and stick it stick together and it'll be destroyed. So keeping it <clears throat> filled with some kind of material like plastic or whatnot will definitely help save it. And uh, another thing is like too much humidity in a room or too little humidity is a bad thing and you don't want any direct um, air blowing on them from like air vents or ceiling fans you'll you know dry it out and it'll be hard as a rock and start cracking so keep it out of direct sunlight and things like that 
Man, it's amazing they've made it this far to where you could collect them. It is pretty wild. <laughs> I, <laughs> it's It all goes back, you know, seeing those ads in those monster magazines and Famous Monsters Magazine and Fangoria. I mean, I had those those magazines with me every day at school. I wasn't supposed to, but my book bag was filled with Fangoria's and when I should have been paying attention in class, I'm looking, you know, Tom Savini and all these guys making special effects. And then the next page would be a Don Post ad. Oh, yeah. And you're, just, and you're just staring at these masks like, man, look at those things. Not even knowing what they look like in person. You look at these, these ads are like burned into my brain because I looked at them for so many hours as a kid. And, and just getting those masks today in your hands is like this special feeling because of those old ads. You're like, man, I finally got it. (laughs) (laughs) Decades later, I've got this Timberwolf mask in my hands, you know, or this Don Post mask that I've never thought I'd own, even as a kid. So it's, uh, it's pretty special. So when it, when it comes to Don Post Studios, uh, did, did you want to give the listeners a brief history of, of Don Post Studios and, uh, and, and kind of where it, where it started, where it ended up. Sure, I'll do a real brief history. There's a <laughs> there's a great book, by the way, called "The Illustrated History of Don Post Studios," and my my friend put that out, Lee Lambert. There's literally, I believe, close to 600 pages on the history of this company. <clears throat> but you know, Don Post started in Chicago in the late 30s and 40s. He's, he was making masks for Marshall Field and Company. Um, later moved to California and started making over, you know, rubber, latex rubber over the head masks. But it wasn't until like the 60s when they started making these amazing, what they called like their Hollywood lifelike masks, their universal horrors masks. They got the universal licensing. And they started producing these amazing Frankenstein's and mummies and hunchbacks, uh, and the like. The the golden era was like the '60s of that company, where they were making um, these masks no one's ever seen because they had lifelike hair, over the top paint jobs, um, and they carried on well into the '70s, '80s, '90s, and the 2000s up to 2012 you know, when the company finally ended, but they are definitely one of the greats in the Halloween mask world. No doubt. And, uh, do you know whether any of their stuff was ever, uh, used as the primary makeups or the primary effects in any movies? Well, sure. The, the most famous of course would be, would be, um, Michael's Michael Myers in Halloween. Oh sure, <laughs> you know the the William Shatner mask, That's which true. <laughs> which also touches on the Holy Grail um, thing. You know the original '70s Shatner mask is like gold to most collectors because it was Michael Myers. You know they took that mask, trimmed the eyes, shot some white paint on it. Um, I think they did something with the hair, possibly messed it up or whatever, but that's what Michael Myers wore in the film. So that is, that mask has sold for astronomical prices. 
you know, I've, I've heard it's brought, you know, 15 or $20,000 at times. So, um, that would be in my mind right now, the most famous movie, um, that the Don Post mask has showed up in next to Halloween three, you know, they, they made the Halloween, um, skull, witch and pumpkin for that film. The skull was already in production for many years through the company, but the witch and the pumpkin were made specifically for that film. Were they produced in low numbers? Why are they so hard to find? Um, you know, I think it's because that Matt, that movie was sort of a flop back then. Um, I don't know why I was infatuated with those masks when I saw them in the ads and in the film, but yeah. they just, I don't, I don't know if the, if the masks sold very well. I, I think they made roughly a thousand of each copy from what I've heard, but, um, you know, they're very thin rubber. The, the witch of the pumpkin were latex as to where the skull was vinyl and a vinyl mask will pretty much last forever. Thick vinyl, you know, is pretty indestructible. But the the thin latex masks, if they weren't put away right and stored right, they're just goners now. So that's why they command all this money, because they're so rare to find in nice condition. Okay, got it. Um, so as far as... Uh uh, dealing with unknown sellers uh, because we talk about original pieces uh, and then there, of course there are duplicates, there's copies. Have you ever had to deal with uh, somebody where something, something went bad or you had to, uh, you know, back out of something that got sketchy? Yeah, there's, you know, there was guys over the years you'd kind of learn that they were just very sketchy people to deal with where, you know, they would lie about shipping them out and you kind of figure out they were just using your money to go buy something they wanted. And then all of a sudden you get a refund a month later saying, you know, you'd hear like the dog must have ate it or the mailman lost it. You'd get all these crazy stories and you just see a pattern with certain people and you know, they're just a bad apple and you just can't deal with someone like that. But, uh, I've seen horrible things happen to people. Um, a friend of mine bought what he thought was a Halloween three pumpkin from some kid that no one's ever heard about, you know, no one knows him. He's got no feedback from anyone in the hobby and he supposedly had a pumpkin and he was telling the guy, you know, I'll sell it to you for $800, which was pretty unheard of price at the time for that mask. Like it was too good to be true. So he went and, uh, paid the guy on PayPal and with PayPal, as long as someone has a tracking number entered, you're kind of screwed. Like he sent the guy a a mask in the mail, supposedly. Um, and since that seller had the tracking number, PayPal will not refund if there's any issues. It's, it's a crazy thing. So my friends going to the post office to pick this thing up. And I said, you know what? This whole thing stinks. You may want to do a video of you opening this box at the post office because I have a feeling you're going to be very disappointed when you get there. (laughs) So he did make a video, and as he's opening this box in front of the postal lady, um, he opens it, and instead of an $800 pumpkin mask, there was some little toys thrown in the box. And uh, 
he got burned. He didn't get his money back, and that guy got away with his money. Uh. You know, just because he was able to post that he had a tracking number, and uh, you know, PayPal wouldn't do a darn thing about it. So it was a, a sad deal. So you know, the rule is if if it's too good to be true, it always is, and don't don't deal with anybody you don't know or doesn't have any connections to anyone in this hobby and you know have anybody vouch for them it's and definitely never use a uh, form of payment that has no recourse definitely it was a it was a crazy deal so yeah hopefully there's ways to get around that now but uh you know with that tracking number he was kind of done for do you personally own anything that was uh screen used you know the They say a lot of the Halloween 3 masks were screen used because they shot them like the factory scenes in the movie were shot with all these masks on display and then they shipped them out as orders. But um, I never had any crazy screen used pieces, um, you know, with bragging rights behind them. But um, I did own something that was, uh, gosh, let's see. Dorian Gray. Yeah, see, it says "Made of Wax" by Dick Smith, used. So here's the real "Made of Wax," used to be owned by Forey Ackerman. Yeah, Dick Smith definitely made it. Huh. Interesting. It was there was an article in Famous Monsters about it. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, cool. But I just don't. I, I just, could have been the 70s i believe it was the 70s version cool so Um, so those things probably don't come up very often the screen used masks very rarely yeah um do you know sean clark yes yeah he's got a lot of screen used stuff but i think uh you know managing the celebrities for their appearances and whatnot he's probably been able to, to get that kind of capital and that kind of connections no doubt. Yeah, because he's got a bunch of the Halloweens and uh, right. He's got the clown, one of the clowns from Poltergeist. Oh man. Yeah. So a guy like that is like, yeah, you you can't really compete with some of that stuff. Right. There's a there's guys that specifically collect screen used items like that's their deal. So, and that's a whole different price point. You know, when you get into that stuff, I've seen things in auction. It's, it's insane what they ask for one crazy little prop, you know, it could be thousands. Or like some scar that was uh, applied to somebody's face in a movie or something. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, okay, if you can verify this, then that's another conversation. There was a really cool screen use piece I was thinking of going after a while back um, from one of my favorite films of all time, Wes Craven's Serpent and the Rainbow. And it was the, like, skeletal zombie uh, girl that was, like, in the, I guess, in a wedding dress. You yeah. know, and the, sna- the snake came out of her mouth. Yep, I know the one. During, like, the dream sequence type thing when he was uh, seeing things. But that... Uh, was available and I kept kicking it around. I should have bought it because I've watched that movie countless times and just absolutely love it. But I was, I, I should go look for that piece and see if it's still available. But uh, other than that, I mean, screen use stuff, there's in the mask hobby, there's screen used um, 
Myers stuff pops up here and there with some of the later films. I know there's a big collector that has some of the more important pieces, but um, not not a ton of stuff. There's there's more. There's some like B something Studios masks that were in a lot of movies too. That's another amazing mask company out of Chicago, um, and a lot of their masks popped up in a lot of movies over the years. The movie Rocktober Blood from 1984 uh, featured one of the most classic be something studio masks of all time which was the fang face um do you know that mask i don't think so so it was like this not by name anyway so it's like a a hooded demon type looking thing with big fangs just coming out at you out of its mouth was that was that the one that they used in that ad for the record yes yes i know the one so that mask, like that, me and that mask go way back. But that company uh, came out of Chicago, like I was saying, and a big portion of my collection was B something studio pieces for a very long time. Um, <clears throat> that happens to be one of the first masks I ever owned from the late 70s that my parents bought me at the local trick shop. And, um, I was I wore it on Halloween probably two or three years in a row, and it was so important to me that I would just bring it along to school in my book bag, you know, through the summer when you have to be Halloween. But that's a mask I kept for many years, and that's one of the more sought after masks these days. Is that that uh, Fang face? There's a uh, few versions of it out there, but um, definitely one of the coolest masks ever sculpted. That'd be something studio. Yeah. Bill, Weistrom, Bill Weistrom was the guy who sculpted it. Who's yeah. a good, good friend of mine now, I could say. And he did a, a large portion of their sculpting over the years. So um, <clears throat> if you don't know much about their history, if you start looking up a lot of those masks, you'll probably start recognizing them, um, especially in the Midwest, because everywhere you went in uh, like the Illinois suburbs, you'd see be something studio masks for sale, you know, and I'm, I'm assuming all over the country, but they were huge out here, especially at the local Woolworth stores, you know? Oh, sure. When I was a kid, I would just go in there and Halloween, it'd be such a treat to walk into Woolworths and see all these be something studio masks on display on paper towel rolls. They'd all have them lined up on, you know, stuck on a paper towel roll upright down the whole aisle. And it's like to walk in and see something like that as a kid, you're like, Oh my God, look at this, you know, and you just don't see that anymore. It's, it's not, especially not in a drugstore, you know? Oh yeah. But, uh, those masks are just as important to collectors today as Don Post masks. That's really, that's really cool. And what about Topstone? How do they fall into the, the hierarchy of, of what's sought after and what's important? They're definitely up there too. Probably, it's it's kind of like a different group, but guys like me, I like them all. Like I have, I have top stone masks down there. <clears throat> Be something studios, Don Post, but uh, there's strictly Don, uh, top stone collectors. Like a friend of mine is, <clears throat> his name's uh, Ray, and he is the number one top stone guy out there, and he's an expert on the whole company, and he's on the verge of hopefully putting a book out someday on, on everything 
that Topstone has produced. Is that, is that Ray Castile? Yes, great guy. And he is the Topstone uh, guru for sure. So he's been out here to the collection. And uh, if I ever have any Topstone history questions, he's my go-to guy. Yeah, it's interesting. I, in doing some research for this, I actually pulled up some stuff he had written on uh, topatalk.com. So yeah, he had written some some really uh, uh, concise information about Topstone. Oh yeah, he really gets into it. <clears throat> and for people listening that probably don't know what Topstone masks look like, they were the, they're very crude. Um, they were very thin rubber masks that you'd find at a drugstore for like $2 back then in the 70s and 80s. Um, very crude with very quick airbrushed paint jobs on them. And uh, compared to a Don Post mask, you'd look at them like, what the hell is that? It looks crazy. Because <laughs> <laughs> they but weren't good. <laughs> they weren't good. But now they are gold. You know, like that is, that's why I love them because they're so crude. Right. And they just they just look so odd compared to any other mask out there. Now I can tell you I can tell you as somebody who uh, owns a few airbrushes and knows how to use them, I've looked at those masks and said, did <laughs> did they hire anyone who knew how to use an airbrush or did they just say exactly. they, they just say, Hey, uh, you come here. And that's the thing, but and and not many people know how amazing a lot of the Keith Ward sculptures were for those masks. Because when they produced them, they looked just so basic and all the detail wasn't there. And then many years later, um, like in recent history, a whole group of the original molds were found. And the person that found those, um, by the name of George, he started producing these nice pores out of these masks and that's when collectors saw how amazing these sculptures really were. You know, you get these pristine castings out of them, and and uh, it's like a whole other world of topstone for collectors. So, it, what an amazing find! You know, finding the original molds surface like that, and then um, so now you can find these amazing castings of those old masks that normally look pretty lame. <laughs> you know, <laughs> in production. Sure. And, uh, you know, and they're just, they're beautiful. And you, so. and you get somebody like Keith Ward, and according to uh, what Ray wrote, yeah. uh, he was a, a famous illustrator of the day that did the Dick and yes. Jane books, uh, the Black exactly. Stallion. And and so you got somebody who's got some serious art skills uh, doing some sculptures. Oh, his sculptures are amazing. Now, I, no, look, I, I look at what's happening today. Like I mentioned Landon Meyer earlier, Hyperflesh. Um but Jordu Shell, for example. Oh, yeah. You look at that guy's work, and it's so lifelike, it fools your eye. Jordu is, uh, yeah, his work is some of the best out there. His, his work's crazy. If, you, if you're not familiar with him, go look up his Instagram and look at the masks he's producing, and it'll blow your mind. Absolutely. You know, his, his, his masks, they, they sell for a lot of money, but, you know, there's a reason for it. Yeah, it, there, there's things I hope to own someday that he's made, you know, um, that hopefully I can afford. But uh, <laughs> he's one of the 
one of the greats for yeah, sure. Definitely. And, and I got to say that, uh, going to horror hound and then mask fest as part of it, uh, to see these things in person is it's a real sight to behold. And that brings me to my next question. I want to ask you is, uh, uh, how modern have you gone? I mean, obviously you wouldn't want to have a cutoff point if you see something really awesome. Uh, but it's, uh, you collect vintage masks. Do you collect anything newer? Oh, absolutely. And it's it's funny because I'll go to Mask Fest thinking like, man, I'm going to look for some old stuff. You know, I just want to find vintage stuff. And there's, uh, unfortunately, there's not a lot of vintage stuff there. There's a couple of guys I know that bring it. But by the end of the weekend, my room is loaded with new stuff too. So <laughs> if I see something cool that's, a modern piece i'm buying it you know especially from a friend of mine uh pete infelice from the devil's workshop oh yeah his pieces you guys should go look up his instagram his pieces and his use of color is insane he's an amazing modern mask maker his sculptures blow my mind he's taught me so much over the years on painting techniques and even some sculpting techniques but his stuff sells like hotcakes at every show. Oh yeah, you be, between uh, him, uh, Mikey Rotz, uh, uh, Justin, oh, Mab- Mike. Justin yeah, Mabry. Mike. Shout out to Mikey, he's awesome. Oh. Justin, Justin's another another one of the, the greats. Justin Mabry, and there's so many of those guys, and I'm happy I can call them all friends now. You know, they're they're all good, good, good talent. So I like to try and get something from them when I can. You know, at the shows. And it's uh, it's sometimes I have to sell those pieces to buy an old piece, and I feel like shit when I do it. But uh, you know, they'll see it on eBay, and I'm like, no offense, man, but I just gotta, I gotta come up with thousands of dollars for this rare '60s <laughs> mask. <I'm like>, yeah, <laughs> yours is the first to go because it's modern, you know. And yeah, it's uh, they know they don't they don't mind though. It's part of the part of the hobby for sure. But those, but those are all guys you should look up, and even if you're not a mask collector, you'll be. Uh, pretty impressed with what you see oh yeah and i think that's part of it is when when we all sit down at halloween whether we're actual halloween people like you and me and a lot of our listeners or somebody who's a little more of a uh uh shall we say a tourist in our world who just like oh it's october it's spooky season it's like when ain't it spooky season (laughs) but uh people who watch movies and um maybe they'll find some ghost stories on some podcast or whatever. There are people who just kind of check in during October and that's what they do. Uh, I kind of like to encourage them to dig a little deeper or stay a little longer in, in our world, because I think there's a lot of cool stuff here. Definitely. And that's, you know, I'm so glad I did put up an Instagram you know, eventually with this collection because it's opened so many doors. It's crazy. Like, I never thought people would love this collection as much as they do. Um, Just by putting up the Instagram, I've been in several magazines because of it. You know, these people see it and they're like, oh my God, look at this crazy, you know, stuff. And they want to feature it in some cool magazine somewhere out there. And I've gotten onto TV, television with it. I've became friends with rock stars because of it, which is <laughs> unbelievable, you know, and uh, 
people are like, how are you hanging out with Kirk Hammett, you know? And Oh, and, well, yeah, and, duh. And I'd say, well, you know how you always made fun of my hobby? Well, it's because of rubber masks. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you know, see me with Slash from Guns N' Roses and things like that. And I'm like, it's all because of rubber masks. Right. Now you can just keep laughing at me. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's weird you know it's very strange but to see people's the, the biggest thing is seeing people's reactions on instagram they they love it because a lot of them are collectors on there but a majority are just people that love seeing the things i post and that's i, I love sharing it with everyone and especially the feedback i get when i teach people history on certain masks you know and and the, a lot of them will say, man, I had that as a kid, and they go crazy when they see it. So oh yeah, it, I get a lot of enjoyment out of people's reactions, you know, and, and uh, feedback. So it's got a good following. You know, there's like close to 17,000 followers on there now. Yeah, that's amazing. That's, that's never in my life thought I would, you know, my daughter's like, how do you get so many followers? <laughs> like, she's got, you know, like because, five. Because dad's <laughs> cool. Yeah, it's cool. She really, you know, she she thinks I'm famous, which is funny. She's so young, and and we went to a Halloween thing one day, and she was like, "Do you think people are gonna recognize you?" And I'm like, "What?" She's like, "Well, you know, you're famous because I'm in magazines." I'm like, "I'm not that famous." Yeah, you're you're famous in a in a in a very good tight circle in a weird place. Yeah, which is great. You know, I'm happy with where I'm at, but it's uh, I never. And it's funny because people, the people that do come to my house, whether they're guests in my house or they're somebody working here on something, they'll either go crazy over it or they look at me like I'm insane, you know? I'll say, you want to see something cool? I'm like, all right. And I I bring them in this room, you know, and they just stop and look at, because no one's ever seen anything like this, you know? And either they'll go, this is amazing, or they'll look at me and they'll be like, why do you have this? You know, and I just shake my head like, I don't know. You're, you're not my people. <laughs> you're right. Go back to work. <laughs> right. Yeah, go but, go watch football or whatever it is you do. I mean, Or like so, somebody will have their kids with them and the kids will run in there and just stop, like sliding on the floor and stop in terror and do the moonwalk back out of the room. <laughs> terrified, you know? Or they, or they love it, or the kids love it, you know. So it's uh, pretty wild. It's it's something that, that like I know that if I did a museum one day, it would be uh, it'd be pretty successful. I think you know, and people coming to see it. Well, you know, you could you could call up Kirk Hammett and see if he'll uh, help you with the opening of the thing. No know? doubt, you know that uh, he's his uh, poster collection is crazy, but he. You know, it's it's one of the greatest things I've ever seen, but uh, I know he's got lots of masks and things like that too. So, oh yeah, I mean, anyone who uh, and and I'm sure most of our listeners know when you say somebody's a monster kid, uh, he definitely <laughs> kids, yeah, yeah, he definitely was, and uh, yeah, now he's got Metallica money to, to be. I'm fortunate to see some of his things in person, and it's mind blowing. You oh, know. Man. And, and a couple of us, you know, that when we do talk to him, we're like, you know, you should uh, open a museum one day. You know, his, his posters tour, tour the country and up in Canada and things like that. But 
it's like, man, you should really think about a, a brick and mortar museum. Like that would be nuts because he could fill it. Yeah. I think um, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, David Copperfield collected everything original Houdini owned or, yes. and, and doesn't share it except with other magicians. If I, re- uh, if I remember yeah. that correctly, it's okay. like, uh, you know, to quote Indiana Jones, it belongs in a museum. Belongs in a museum. <laughs> I say it all the time with my friends. It belongs in a museum. That's, Send me that mask. That's <laughs> right. They'll just say, shut up. Uh, yeah. And, and, you know, it's cool that someone has it and is preserving it, but you always, but you always kind of hope something turns up in an attic in Kansas or something and a normal person can get a chance to own it. Oh, no doubt. You know, I'm still, I'm still coming across things that I never thought I would own. In some cases I have to pay through the nose for it, but just to find out in the wild, you know, it's like. That's that's the greatest part of it. Anybody can go on eBay and click on something, pay a lot of money and go, look what I got, you know, but there's no fun in that. No. You know, half the time you're losing your mind in the past eight, last eight seconds of the auction, your heart's beating through your chest like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, it's going up. It's going up higher. And then, oh, my God, I got it. You know. Yeah, that, that's a very, that's a bad adrenaline rush, and I don't like the feeling of it gonna give you more gray hair doing that but finding it out in the wild man that's that's the best part of it well i knew a guy who used to um he he did a lot of swap meets where he would just buy a lot of crap and then go sell it at swap meets and make money and one of one of the things he told me he used to do was he'd go up to a garage sale or a yard sale and be looking at stuff and if he didn't see anything he wanted to buy he'd ask the person having the sale hey do you have any cookie jars and sometimes they would have one in, in the garage and he knew what was rare and what they were worth. And so he would, he would score some unusual, uh, uh, valuable cookie jars and then go sell them for a lot of money. Cookie jars of all things, right? That's funny. It's funny you say that because I have a cookie jar here, an old, old Halloween one that a friend, a friend of mine gave me. And him and his son are monster collectors. So he one day he's like, I'm going to give you this old cookie jar. I think his his wife made it or his grandma, you know. So I'm like, oh, thanks. It's like a skeleton on a pumpkin. So then one day his son is here. He goes, oh, my God, I've got that same cookie jar. My, my grandma made it. I'm like, yeah, that is your cookie jar, you know. <laughs> <laughs> My dad gave me more of my shit, didn't he? I'm like, yeah, dad gave me more stuff. Yep. So you gotta, funny. you gotta take your lumps, kid. <laughs> Sorry. Mine now. Right. But no, I, I told him you could have it back. Well, I think a good way to wrap this up would be to talk about uh, what else do you collect in the world of uh, monsters and Halloween? Because I know that you and I both have, like we mentioned earlier, the beastal cutouts you know the uh the decorations you you have originals and i have reprints um i have some original blow molds the uh, the, the plastic lanterns as people might know them what else yes. what else do you collect my living room is loaded with those blow molds right now I'm surrounded by them <clears throat> and uh definitely collect all the vintage die cut cardboard stuff you know from like the 40s and 50s and 60s lots of vintage halloween like the little plastic candy containers and pumpkins and um, 
like the paper mache jack-o'-lanterns but uh, i have a pretty good collection of horror comics nothing nothing crazy in the old world of like the high-priced 60s stuff but a lot of 70s and 80s pieces that i collect for the mostly for the cover art you know i just love that stuff um lots of monster toys and just various monster items that i had as a kid you know uh, like the old remco figures and whatnot i've got my my original set that i opened when i was a kid still so a lot of a lot of things like that i've got cases full of monster and halloween stuff but i've unfortunately sold a lot over the years to buy masks but um found myself buying more of it in recent times now and you've probably got a better chance of finding that stuff in the wild oh absolutely that's the thing like you know masks were made of rubber most of the time so a thin piece of rubber just didn't hold up you know you know in storage so they're a lot rarer than people would think and uh there's not many out there so going to like a good flea market or whatnot you're you really never see them it's very rare I, I find masks out out in the wild when i'm searching for them so unfortunately i have to go to collectors or ebay to really score something that i'm looking for now um i said that would be a good way to wrap it up but i'm going to ask one more thing is sure, where, no, go ahead. um well a couple more things do the are the kids fully like halloween kids your kids yeah, it's kind of on and off with with my little girl. She's uh, one one year she'll want to be a, a monster, and then the next year she'll want to be some pop star, you know. And I just lose my mind. But um, she, like the other night, we watched Frankenstein, The Bride of Frankenstein, and like her favorite movies, Abbott and Costello, you know, meets Frankenstein and uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. So she's really into it. And I hope as she gets older, she'll be more into the masks. She's got masks down there that she calls her own. But uh, lately, like, she'll find out I sold a mask, and she kind of got mad about it. She's like, I can't believe you sold that without asking me. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, really? I'm like, that's awesome, you know? Like, let's keep that up. I want you to, you know, I want to pass this on to her. Yeah, feel, feel some ownership of it. Yeah, so um, she's she's got her own little thing she's into, but um, she's she's on the ride with me I, for sure. She's she's definitely into it, and I'm hoping it it grows. So that that's great. And and so the uh, the question I did want to bring it around to, and you kind of touched on it already, was what are the movies you watch around Halloween? I watch uh, so many. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, the, the golden era, you know, to everyone is the classic 40s and 50s horror and sci-fi, and those are the greatest things ever made. But the golden era of growing up with horror, to me, would be like the late 70s and early 80s. So, you know, because I was reading Fangoria religiously those years, any of that stuff, you know, like... Uh, Dawn of the Dead and all that whole era of, of stuff is just so dear to me. I I watch it all year round. Like every night, literally every night, I'll watch a horror movie before I go to sleep. Oh, yeah. Which some people find disturbing, but uh, you know, 
children of the corn, anything like that. I just, I, I enjoy it. I enjoy it more. It kind of like is relaxing to me, um, which is kind of crazy, but it's, it's something I've been in love with my whole life. Same. And yeah. when people say, I don't like horror movies, I'm like, oh my God, how do you say that? But uh, if I'm mostly watching horror, it's going to be in that late 70s, early 80s, amazing era. You know, growing up then was just the best time ever. Definitely. You know, we lived through the whole Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, waiting for every movie to come out. And I don't think kids today will know what it was like. You know, it was like, it was incredible. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and um, my my early... Happy memories, of course, uh, were watching creature features with, uh, with the yeah. folks and we would order pizza and it was like that, that was a weekend thing we would do sometimes. Son of Svengoolie, of course, yep. you know? Yep. We watched yeah. the original Svengoolie, then Son of Svengoolie. Uh, it, it was, it was all that stuff that, uh, that just sort of, uh, laid the foundation for this. And, uh, I don't know if we would be considered the second gen or the third gen, monster kids as far as the stuff that was being aired as a, as a package on the television. But, uh, man, it, it made its initial theatrical run. It made, uh, uh, subsequent, uh, money-making theatrical runs. But then when they sold it to television, that started it off. And, uh, that's, that's why there were, um, t-shirts, decals, monster masks, all that stuff, the toys, all that stuff that came out as merchandising, we were surrounded by it. Absolutely. And that's what's sad about today is you just don't see it anymore. Well, I remember when Toys R Us was still around, you'd go through Toys R Us in the last years of it and just walk through the aisles and, and nothing, anything monster related was in these brightly colored packages and just no cool artwork anymore. And it was just all dead to me. <laughs> yeah, there, it, it, there are some good ones out there now, but but they're very specific. Yeah, independent companies are making amazing stuff. But yeah, um, but yeah, back to the films though. I mean, that's that whole era. If you just go and <clears throat> type in, you know, horror movies from nineteen seventy eight or seventy nine, it'll blow your mind how many amazing films came out just in those two years versus what comes out these days. It's you just go, wow. You know, what an amazing time. It really was. For, for those films and how lucky we were to live through that. Absolutely. Because it's, it's over. <laughs> there's <laughs> there's some good stuff coming out, you know, here and there, but man, not, not like it used to be. Yeah. And, and I got to say that, that every time we see something good, I, I get, I get my hopes up and, uh, and sometimes, you know, you're, you're lucky. And, um, Jordan Peele, for example, he obviously cares a lot about this. Oh yeah, he's definitely got the heart in it for sure. Yeah, you know, so at least there's people still out there that are concentrating on horror. Right. I mean, yeah. and, and if if Rob Zombie could, uh, you know, get some different people to um, help write and and uh, act in his movies, <laughs> no <laughs> his, doubt. But his heart's in the right place, and I love him for that. Absolutely. You know, when, when all these uh, live record type move, what do you call them? Where Oh, yeah. um, when all those were coming out, uh, where you're looking through camcorder views, it's just, I was, it was such a turnoff for me because how many of these do we have to watch or, or don't watch, but right. that whole era, it was just nothing good was coming out. In my opinion, I just, was, it, when you live through what we did, it's very tough to impress us. 
Yeah. You, yeah. you have to try harder and uh, you show up with something good. And uh, the movies lately, though, I've been watching some new movies that I really loved. So, you know, like, like Hereditary was pretty cool. And, oh, yeah. And uh, gosh, the, uh, the Autopsy of Jane Doe, that was a pretty cool movie. That was really good. Yeah, like things like that I enjoy. But, um, you know, there's so many... Uh, the possession of this girl and the possession of that one. Like, yeah. It's so redundant. Like Newsflash, yeah. the exorcist was already done, people. Right. Like, come on. Just if, it's, if there's 10 more movies like that, don't make another one. Right. We don't need the 11th one. Correct. <laughs> yeah. So, at least we're on the same page. Definitely. Well, on that note, um, yeah, let's let's wrap it up. And uh, I know you you're uh, in a little later time zone than me, so um, I'll, yeah, I'll time to watch a horror movie. Exactly. You got well, <laughs> so you, so you don't fall asleep watching it. Uh, well, Rudy, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it and your expertise. And and uh, again, I'm going to encourage our listeners to go check out Crimson Ghost Mask Room on Instagram, and uh, they can message you there if they have something rare and if they're going to try and rip you off. Well. <laughs> Don't bother because you're not a sucker. I'll be very fair with buying, but yeah, check it out. Um, hope you like what you see. And uh, I, I'm so glad you had me here. It was great talking with you tonight. Awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, you got it. And uh, since we're dropping this on Halloween, uh, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everybody. <laughs>